Financing is dedicated to customer satisfaction. If you've got credit issues, they have the answer. No matter what your profile is, they can help. They work with people who have fair, bad, or just terrible credit, repayment history, as well as people who have no money down. That's right, no money down. They're located at 6385 North Federal Boulevard with a great auto inventory. Give them a call at 303-298-1155. That's Magic Financing. Features Mago the Magician. They're open Monday through Friday until 8 and Saturday till 7. Check them out. That's Magic Financing. Call them today at 303-298-1155. Tell them you heard about it here at KUHSDenver.com. Also visit us at www.magicfinancing.com. Yes, magicfinancing.com is the sponsor here of the council. Welcome, everybody. It's Friday, May 22nd. Welcome to the council. I'm your host, Charlie Pacello, and boy, uh, we have a good show for you today. We're going to talk a little bit about understanding pain and suffering. What is pain and suffering? And to really dive into what, uh, what is its nature, how to, we don't want to get stuck in suffering, and how we can get into this place of surrender and joy. Uh, but first, like I said, uh, Magic Financing is our sponsor. I just want to give a shout out to them. Thank them for being the sponsor of the show. If you need help in uh, buying a car or used car, you're looking for your dream car, these are the people to go to. Ask for Maurizio. He'll take care of you. Just let him know that Charlie sent you from the council. And uh, let them find the, uh, the car of your dreams. Uh, they help you if you're struggling with finances. Uh, we've been going to them for decades, my family and I, and they have taken care of us every single time. So go to magicfinancing.com. Um, also, we are... As many of you know, I do a lot of work with uh, veterans and, and, and uh, people who have active duty. Last night, we had an online gathering of warriors uh, during the pandemic crisis, and it uh, has blossomed into something really, really beautiful uh, and substantive, uh, filled with depth and meaning. Uh, we had active duty present from overseas uh, in Europe and uh, really getting a perspective and understanding of a lot of the things that veterans are going through out there and, and active duty personnel and trying to bridge this active duty military civilian partnership <clears throat> because there's a lot of things that warriors experience and veterans experience, active duty experience that they're, they're just built for times of crises and being able to navigate during these difficult times. And so um, if you're a veteran and are interested in joining us, please do so. Give me, uh, you know, find me on Facebook. Uh, email me at charlespacello at gmail.com. Again, that's charlespacello at gmail.com. And uh, I can let you know on our next gathering. It's going to be in about three weeks. Uh, we're also doing a Memorial Day. Let me see here. Here's the information. We're doing a Memorial Day event for veterans, military, and the people who love them. Uh, it's called Restoring the Soul After War. It's a virtual Memorial Day retreat with Dr. Edward Tick, Kate Daltstedt, and myself. Uh, and this is just a little about what it is. In, in the tradition of the ancient warrior practice of annual sacred gatherings for restoring the spirit, we invite you to join us online to restore the true meaning of Memorial Day. 
In a virtual ceremony, teaching and sharing, we're going to gather to heal our relationships to the fallen, bring meaning to tragedy, reflect on the impact war and military service have had on all of us, and bless our losses. We're going to honor the original meaning of Memorial Day, and this is for all who wish to heal the effects of war on themselves, their families, and our nation. Uh, Dr. Ed Tick and Kate Daltstedt are founders of Soldiers Heart and have been officiating the Memorial Day retreat at Roe for five years. And I am honored to uh, participate as a co-facilitator and co-leader in this uh, in this retreat, uh, this uh, Memorial Day. So please uh, check it out. You can go to the Roe Conference Center website, which is www.roe. C-E-N-T-E-R dot O-R-G. That's rowcenter.org. And we will, uh, we will be uh, meeting uh, from Monday, May 25th from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Again, so that's going to be Restoring the Soul After War, a Memorial Day retreat with Dr. Ed Tick, Kate Daltstead, and myself. Um, a lot of people don't know what Memorial Day is all about. You know, we, uh, we think that Memorial Day is just about gathering with our friends and families and, uh, and you know, barbecues. Maybe not at this time because of uh, the pandemic that we're going through. Uh, we're learning to be able to, you know, have gatherings virtually. <laughs> but uh, there is a deeper meaning to Memorial Day that many people don't know exactly why it lives, why it exists. And Memorial Day is, quite frankly, simply, is the holiday was created to honor those American men and women who died during combat. That's what it was about. And the holiday was instituted right after the Civil War, uh, in the wake of the Civil War in 1866. Uh, and that's, it was first known as Decoration Day. And it was set aside to remember both the Union and Confederate soldiers alike. Uh, after so many people died you know, in the Civil War, uh, most Americans, uh, more Americans were lost in the Civil War, 620,000 people, than both World, War, uh, both World Wars combined, which was 521,000. And you factor in the differences in population, and you can imagine how hard of a hit the war between the North and the South was on the country at that time. And then the loss of uh, President Lincoln and it, with his assassination, it was a very traumatic period in our culture and in our history. And so by the 1880s, the holiday became known as officially as Memorial Day, and then in 1971, it became a federal mandate that the observance of Memorial Day was going to be on the last Monday of May. And this ensured long weekends for all of us, but it was a day to really, tr traditionally it was a day to remember um, those troops who didn't come back. The American troops who didn't come back home to have a drink at a homecoming party or to retire from their branch of military service with their families and friends. Uh, they died in the field of combat. And instead of returning home under and instead returned home under very solemn circumstances and inside um, flag-draped coffins. So that's what Memorial Day is really all about, is honoring the dead. And, you know, as I've, uh, I've come to understand and, uh, very recently, I've have a, I have a lot of ancestors who fought for this country. Um, 
more so than I ever realized before. Uh, we have uh, ancestors that go all the way back to the beginning of the, uh, the colonies, uh, back into Virginia. One of the faucets in our family line arrived in, I, th- I believe, in 1623. And uh, we were, have been able in the last few months to be able to chart the ancestral line that had been here, that immigrated over here uh, from Scotland, from Ireland. And, uh, you know, there, we have had people who had fought, ancestors who fought in the revolutionary time uh, on both sides, English as well as the American side. And, of course, the Civil War. Uh, lots of people who uh, died on both sides. And so um, this is very uh, meaningful. The, and, and, you know, you don't have to think profoundly. I mean, you can if you want, but even just lighting a candle for a minute for the people who died to give you the freedoms that you have today that we're fighting over and protesting and doing all those things. It's because of those men and women who died going all the way back to uh, our revolutionary ancestors that allowed you to be able to have the freedoms to do that. So take a moment and light a candle for all of them for a minute. And if you're a veteran or active duty and you want to join us, please do go to the rosecenter.org. Uh, it will be an event you, you will remember for a long time. Okay, uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about, you know, gosh, traumas. You know, everybody's experiencing a lot of trauma right now. Uh, acute traumas that, that doctors and nurses and, and active duty personnel are feeling because they're being thrust into these epicenters where people are dying. And so they're seeing the death firsthand. And, uh, and a lot of times they're coming home and, uh, you know, they see what's happening in our, in our culture and society and the fighting, the internecine fighting that we're having as a culture. And they're, and they're wondering, you know, why, why I feel like I'm getting a slap in the face. You know, I have a, a dear friend of mine. His uh, his wife is a nurse, and um, and you know, she's working. She's dealing with this, uh, and the people who are coming to them that are that are dying, and and she's like, why why is this happening? I feel like people don't care. And I and I think what it's important to get is that we're going through a big transformation as a culture, as a society, and in our families and individually. And we can either either let this this pandemic um, bring out the worst in us or we can allow it to bring out the best in us. And it's ultimately up to each and every one of you. You get to decide that you get to decide how this trauma affects you, how this pandemic affects you. you. You don't get to control everything that's going on around you, but you do get the chance. And it is a choice about how you respond to it. That's your freedom and that's your growth and that's your power. And so, you know, traumas can really allow you, uh, if you, if you look at it correctly, to become the great leaders that you were meant to be, the great people that you're meant to be. You know, it, it, think about it. Our ancestors dealt with a lot of, a lot of trauma. They, they, they crossed oceans to start a new life in a new world. Um, they engaged in battles to fight for beliefs that, and freedoms that, you know, and, and, and for the uh, f- freedoms of others who had been enslaved uh, wrongfully for, for hundreds of years. Um, they crossed across a continent not knowing where to go, and they endured pr- deprivation and, and starvation and, and death, and they were strong people. And we have that strength within us too, but you, and they dealt with the Great Depression as well. 
you know, and, and we can do this, but we've got to be able to, to understand that traumas can either cripple you or they can define you into being a better person. And it's a question, this, this question about how can we move through this and where this experience is, is, is going to bring out the best in us, not the worst. Uh, it's because, you know, I, I experienced in my own life and others that I know who I work with who experienced trauma, they've experienced that deep, moral, piercing, traumatic wound that they come into question. They've seen the darkness within them. They've seen the darkness within others. They've seen the wounding. They've seen the consequences. They've, they've had to glean through their suffering profound wisdom gained that only going through those kinds of experiences can teach you. The ancient Greeks believed that the only way to achieve enlightenment or to get was to go through suffering. And even in the, in the Far East, in, in the teachings of Buddha and the Upanishads, they looked at it as well, that all life was suffering. That, 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 so life, dukkha was, was, means suffering. But that we could move through it and that it would lead us to a place of enlightenment if we chose to. If we allowed it to, because it brought into focus our own mortality. It brought us to focus on what's really important in life. And, you know, it gave us the, the things that only the resources that you find within yourself during these times to elevate yourself to a higher level. And, you know, we look to others in our past to kind of give us as a, I guess, as a, uh, a navigating tool about how they were able to deal with challenges that life threw at them. We don't always, like I said, we don't always get to choose what happens to us, but we do get to choose about how we respond to it. And there's a lot of great men and women throughout time who've, uh, who've taken those kinds of traumas, deep, piercing, trauma, traumatic wounds, and have transmitted it, transmuted it into some instrument of good in their world. And regardless of what form the trauma came in as, it was their personal trial. It was their moment in time where they're ne were never going to be the same. They none of us are going to be the same after this. We're, we're going to be different people when this is over, hopefully better people. And, you know, for these people in, 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 our, in our history, the, the, they would never be the same. And for all intents and purposes, their old self died. You know, their, their greatness was birthed in the intense fires of those transformations brought about by those traumas. And today we're immeasurably grateful for their great sacrifices and contributions. And many of them we don't even know because it, those, they became these great leaders in their families, in their communities, and, and in their cities and, and townships. And that's, and, and that's what was needed at that time. But those that we remember, some of the prime examples from the 20th century who suffered for causes greater than themselves uh, and who left an indelible mark on our culture include Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, and, uh, and Viktor Frankl. And Viktor Frankl is the one who I want to talk to, us, talk to you about today. And Viktor Frankl was an Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist, as well as a Holocaust survivor. And on 25 September 1942, Frankel and his wife were deported to the Nazi uh, in, I don't, I we were, they were deported to the Nazi concentration camp in Bohemia. 
His father and mother and brother were also arrested. And his father died of starvation. His mother and brother were later killed at Auschwitz in 1944. And his wife died at Bergen-Belsen in 1945. And only Frankel and his sister Stella survived. His sister having escaped to Australia before the Nazis began the implementation of their plans for the genocide of the Jews. Frankel endured unimaginable suffering and extreme losses in his life. And yet, he was still able to transform his traumas and soul distress by his ability to find meaning in his experience. In his internationally famous book, Man's Search for Meaning, I highly recommend it. His personal account of being a concentration camp inmate, Frankel clearly articulates that even in the midst of extreme suffering, in the most absurd, painful, and dehumanizing situations, there still exists a potential to find meaning in the experience. One particular episode changed him completely. His epiphany came to him while he was under the most grueling and harsh working conditions of the Nazi concentration camps. The inmates were, were, were stumbling in the darkness. The guards were shouting and, and driving them like cattle, treating them like inhuman slaves, relentless and unmercifully cruel uh, with the butts of their rifles. People were leaning on each other for support. And the wind was blowing icy cold against their lean, sallow faces, and hardly a word was spoken. And there was a man next to Victor, covering his mouth behind his upturned collar like this. And he whispered to Frankel, saying, If our wives could just see us now, I do hope they are better off in their camps and don't know what is happening to us. Frankel thought about his wife. And though he was miles away, slipping on the ice and not knowing what was going to happen to him on that day, he clung to his wife's image, seeing every detail, her smile, her laughter, the way she answered him, her supportive and encouraging look. And this image was more brilliant to him than the sun that was beginning to rise. And in that moment, Frankel learned this profound truth. The salvation of man is through love and in love. I understood how a man who has nothing left in this world still may know bliss, be it only for a brief moment, in the contemplation of his beloved. Frankel recognized that there was one key difference to those who would survive and those who wouldn't. A vision for the future. Be it significant or personal. Be it grandiose or large or just being with my family, being with my friends, seeing everybody happy, being able to pay their bills. Those who had a vision for the future, whether it was contemplating their beloved their life's work, or things they still desire to do or experience. 
if given a chance to survive, they'd survive. But those who collapsed into the suffering, who had no meaning, who had no purpose to live, died. So he learned through his suffering that there was meaning to be gained from it. That it doesn't matter what's happened to you, it's how you respond to it. Your attitude is everything. Your attitude is everything. And in Man's Search for Meaning, Frankel says this, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. To choose one's own way. To choose one's attitude in any given circumstances. That is the last of the human freedoms. That's... Our, that's and this falls very much in line with what the philosopher Nietzsche said about a man's will. Nietzsche believed that if a man has the why for his existence, he can endure just about anything. You've got to know your why. And when you focus your attention on a vision for the future and connect to what brings value and meaning in your life, true meaning, true, the things that you really value, you give yourself the primary motivational force to overcome and transcend your suffering. Now, Frankel could very easily have used his, his experiences <clears throat> excuse me, to remain in perpetual and constant suffering. Yep, could have. He had that choice as well. He could have blamed his oppressors. He could have blamed the Nazis. Man, he had every reason to do so. Every reason. He could have attacked them, shamed them for murdering his family, and lived in anger and hatred for the rest of his life. Yep, he could have done that. But Frankel chose not to. He chose not to. And instead, he found meaning and purpose in his suffering. He personalized it, which neutralized the suffering. He was able to get it from a larger perspective, a symbolic perspective, an impersonal perspective, and allowed him this, which allowed him the space to transcend his pain and weave it into his life's work. Thus, ironically, his traumas became the essential ingredients that helped him to shape and develop his system called logotherapy. Now, what is logotherapy? Well, the word logos, is, it's, a, it's a Greek word, and it means, it has, well, it has multiple meanings. Uh, but it, it means, um, means word, spirit, meaning God. Okay? It's the word uh, in, in some uh, uh, the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition. It's the, it's the word, the logos. God spoke the logos. Uh, Frankel differed from Freud and Adler in that Freud thought pleasure and satisfaction were the driving forces behind man, while Adler thought it was power. Frankel saw that the driving force of our existence as a will to meaning, that we must give meaning to our lives in order to imbue them with purpose, fulfillment, and hope. 
So in order for us to transcend our traumas and emerge greater than we were before, to emerge greater than we were from this pandemic, we must find the meaningfulness it has for our lives. We give meaning to everything. We give everything. You label everything. We give meaning to it all. Nothing is meaningful or everything is meaningful. And in those moments, Frankel could have been like the others and been looking at the wrongs that were being done to him. But he didn't. And, that, and we do that. It, it's, it's a, it, we have to go through the victim. It's important. We have to acknowledge it. We have to respect it. We have to accept it. And we have to experience it. But we don't stay stuck there. Okay? And instead of being stuck there, he, used, he esteemed himself. He rose above his circumstances. And instead, he utilized what was available to give his life meaning. He utilized what was available in, in his trauma, and get, which gave him the opportunity for the biggest transformation and to, to create his whole life's work. So in what ways can you look at your trauma and the trauma that you're going through right now that so many millions and millions of people around the world who are listening to this show and other shows and, and that are going through, how can you look at these experiences differently? How, how can you find meaning and purpose in what's happening to you? How can you find what's really important to you in this moment? As human beings, we are responsible. We are existentially responsible for the meaning of our own existence. Only you, you are responsible for the meaning that you give in everything in your life. Those living without meaning, living in hopelessness and despair, living in panic, living in fear, you must conjure up the courage to dig deep within you and make contact with that, that indestructible light and force within you that was in our ancestors, that crossed over those oceans, that came to this country, wherever they, you, that, that fought for a better way of life for you. It's an invisible, what is this mysterious light I talk about, you know, or everyone talks about? Is it an invisible light? Is it a flame that burns in the darkness? Or is it an idea or a feeling one has for one's right to exist in love and freedom? But you, only you can figure that for you, what that light is. Only you can answer that question for yourself. You don't need anything. You don't need to know anything beyond what lights you up. You need to know what lights your soul up. You need to understand your soul. And Viktor Frankl had to imagine for him what it was that got him through those difficult times. His wife, seeing his wife, that's what lit him up. For me, during my crisis and, and, and trials coming back from suicide to today, I, I found love for my own life and my love for my family and humanity and wanting to turn my experiences into something good. That was what worked for me. You have got to find something that's in there for you that could connect you to what lights you up in this moment. Traumas can actually show you where you need to look. It's not outside. But it's inside where you will find that treasure. So where is your treasure? What does that treasure look like for you? You can find it within you. You don't have to allow this, the weight of what's going on around you to overwhelm you. You can triumph. You can get through this. And what's critical, too, is to be able to help you to understand the difference between pain and suffering. This is so crucial. 
as you're moving through because pain is acute, but our suffering, our suffering is usually our mind, mind wandering. We suffer more for what's going on. 90% of why we suffer is, be- is self-inflicted. It's what's happening in our minds. It's worrying about, is, did, is, did somebody do this to us? Is it, is it who can we blame? What can happen? What, the, the fear of your own mortality. And that's one of the big things that this, a thing like this brings is our own fear of our own mortality. Wow. Any of us can be hit by this thing at any moment. And that's why you have to go in deeper. And, and, and that's the panic and the fear, our fear of death, that we search for something outside of us so we can project that fear onto something else and, 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 and attack it. There's a bigger treasure within you to find if you will look for it. But you've got to understand, what is the difference between pain and suffering? Can pain and suffering, again, can it lead us to a more purposeful life? The ancients believed it, it could. The ancient Israelites, they believed that if, you know, going through the, the sufferings brought us to a better, you know, they, the, the exiles of the, of the Israelites uh, into Babylon. They went through a period of suffering and, and, and God was purifying them. Uh, same thing with the, in, in, in the Upanishads. They had these things where we had to suffer to move through it. Buddha talked about that. Jesus, t- so we have to move through this. But you've got to know the difference. All right, it can lead you. Is it possible to find the courage? Can you find the courage within you to let go and surrender to what might be happening right now or has happened in your life in the past in order to transcend your suffering and return to a state of bliss? I know it's hard to grasp, but if you can, just even planting a seed, especially in the middle of all these storms that are happening right now around us, Let's grasp. Let's let's take a moment and look at what pain really is. Pain, the difference between pain and suffering. Pain is essentially a range of unpleasant bodily sensations that are produced by an illness, an accident, an epidemic, etc. Okay? A hurtful word can cause pain. A, A glance, a look can cause pain. Silence can cause pain. Pain can be momentary, a pain that passes, or it can be chronic, an injury or illness that affects us for a long period of time, perhaps our whole life. Pain forces us to, look, to slow down and return back to ourselves. It reminds us of what's important, and often we must take time to heal our wounds. Suffering, on the other hand, now it's, it's significantly different. With suffering, we're undergoing some kind of pain, grief, trauma, experience, or damage that is agonizing to, to the individual and is experienced over an indefinite period of time. Suffering is contained and finds its sustenance in the mind. This is where we nurture the suffering here. This is where it gets... It gets like it's like a seed planted in soil and we and it, and it becomes dominant and when we are when we suffer we keep reliving the past in our minds and our emotions are dominated by the feelings of guilt shame anger regret grief and blame it's as if a part of our soul has been trapped and locked down by this event or occurrence or experience and our lives are forever altered 
and damaged by what has occurred. We can also suffer a future event over the future, and that one's rooted in fear and worry, fear of what could happen or, or might happen or, oh, oh, I hope this doesn't happen. And so as a consequence of something that hasn't even happened yet that we're worried about, we're suffering over it, don't you see how we can become our own jailer and our own prisoner? We're, we're a prisoner to our past, and we're a prisoner to uh, suffering that we haven't yet experienced in the future yet. So we're our own jailer and our own prisoner. And our thoughts and our memories attack us from the inside. And we're constantly bombarded with intrusive, disquieting, tormenting remembrances or fantasies. And at times these, these feelings can feel like the suffering will never end. It's tormenting. So that's why understanding the difference between pain and suffering is so important. By breaking it down and looking at what is actually happening, we might be able to find a key to having that long-lasting, self-maintaining, natural happiness that we want. We all want to be happy at our core. That's what we, that's what we want. We want the joy we felt when we were young, when we were innocent. That's what we want. And so all this stuff, you know, one of my teachers is a guy named uh, uh, Roman Braun. And so this idea and what we're going to talk about comes from the brilliant work of Roman Braun. Roman Braun is a master trainer in neurolinguistic programming and is a disciple of Viktor Frankl's work, uh, Logotherapy, which I just spoke about. And after many years of research and work in both fields, Braun has developed a model which incorporates both Frankel's emphasis on finding meaning in the experience, finding its purpose, and his work in NLP. Now, Braun discovered that one of the difficulties with Frankel's model is in putting it into practice. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's deep, it's philosophical, it can be abstract, but how does, and, and, and it makes sense on, on those levels, but how does an individual take these big, deep, philosophical ideas about the meaning of one's life and apply it to their everyday experiences? How does he or she incorporate and weave this into their daily life habits and, and routines? For example, we might discover the meaning of our existence is to, is to love all life without judgment. You hear that a lot in, um, in New Age communities and, and, and uh, you know, it's all light and love and, we're, and I'm going to love everybody just the way they are. Yeah, well, we often find ourselves challenged by people's behavior who is very unconscious, who is very unloving, and who have done evil deeds. So how do we do that? It becomes more difficult to sustain a high level of love for others when you've experienced war, violence, abuse, trauma, and cruelty in whatever form. And yet, you must find a way, regardless of the circumstances, to discover and live out the, the true creed in your heart. It's your journey in life. And this is a challenge we all face. No one, no, no matter what stage of life you're in or, or where you're at, uh, uh, we're all imperfect. And uh, it doesn't matter what you do to put in practice the meaning of your life, our lives, and not get stuck in the enormity of suffering everywhere on this planet. 
our own and others, uh, and boy, are we feeling it right now with this pandemic. So, what is neurolinguistic programming? Basically, in neurolinguistic programming, the basic idea of this model is that humans are pain-avoiding and pleasure-seeking beings. Okay? We're pain-avoiding and pleasure-seeking beings. Very uh, Epicurean. Uh, you know, live life to, and be merry. Eat, drink, uh, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. <laughs> or that's not exactly Epicureanism, but that's what we, uh, we understand by it. But we are pain-avoiding and pleasure-seeking. Is it possible to get very quick results with NLP? Yes, it is. However, it's usually not very long-lasting. Okay, it's immediate, you feel good, but it doesn't last long. Why? Well, one of the biggest problems with this model is that a lot of the most important aspects of what it means to be human, it doesn't explain. All right, let's say we are. If we are really pain-avoiding and pleasure-seeking machines as NLP suggests, then that doesn't explain why a child will deliberately put his or her hand in a cookie jar when he or she knows that they'll get into trouble for doing so. Or why a human being will deliberately run into a burning building in order to save a person or a beloved animal's life. Or why a nurse or a doctor or uh, one of our EMTs will go in, in, into a hospital and deal with people who are infected with the incurable disease and still go in there to save their lives. I mean, that, that would doesn't make sense if we were pain-avoiding, pleasure-seeking beings. Or why a soldier will jump out into the middle of a heavy crossfire to rescue his wounded brother, wounded on the field of battle. Or dive onto a, a live grenade in order to save their lives... And he dies. So these examples, they, they don't support the idea that all we are is pain-avoiding, pleasure-seeking creatures. There's got to be, and there is, another deeper motivation within us. And so Roman Bond was seeking <clears throat> a common denominator for both models concerning the soul and human behavior. And so he was driving down the highway... Uh, and contemplating this idea, and uh, they were parked on the, the highway. <laughs> and he looked over and he saw this woman who was yelling and screaming in her car at someone who wasn't even there. Now, how many of you can relate to this? <laughs> Have you ever found yourself in an argument with someone who wasn't even in the car with you or in front of you, uh, who wasn't even there? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I certainly have. I, I've had many, many times where I have been in arguments and I catch my and I finally was uh, one of those times where I caught myself. I'm like having this argument, uh, you know, was dealing with something that was very painful. And um, and I was having this uh, argument uh, and I realized I was like, oh, my gosh, nobody's here. This is this is what is going on with me. And I was like, I've got to I got to stop doing this. I got to recognize that I'm creating and continuing and perpetuating my own suffering here. So I'm, I'm certain many of you have, have had that. And, and uh, you know, I would have these long melodramatic dialogues, you know, and I would rerun the event in my memory and then imagine meeting this person or persons, and <clears throat> whether it was a male or a female, and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. 
Okay. I was going to tell them off for the pain that they caused me or, you know. And, and very often I was having these arguments with, uh, with God or with the divine or, your, you know, or with myself. Or, and I'm screaming, literally. I would have these, like, you know, what did I do to deserve this? What did I do? What do I, why did this happen to me? How can people be so cruel? How could I be so cruel, even for, for the things that I did? And looking back on it, I, 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 mean, I, I I'm, just, I'm sure someone was looking in on me thinking, geez, that guy's, that guy's he's crazy. And, uh, and they probably thought I was, and I, it was just my soul trying to work through this. And so you got to have some compassion for yourselves. And when Braun saw this, he realized there was a problem. Okay, seeing the woman yelling at someone who wasn't even there doesn't fit in with logotherapy that Viktor Frankl came up with. There's no purpose behind it. And it didn't fit into the NLP model, the Neuro Linguistic Programming model, which would suggest that we are pain-avoiding, pleasure-seeking beings. Because if we were, we wouldn't be yelling and screaming at somebody who wasn't there. <laughs> uh, we just wouldn't be obsessing about old past traumas, old dramas, we wouldn't be reliving past memories and the things that had happened to us that were hurtful or painful. We just wouldn't. So have you ever noticed, I mean, that when you experience pain, say, for instance, someone said or, or did something hurtful to you, you notice you feel the pain in the moment. And the moment passes. Right? The moment's done. It's, it's over. It's years ago for some, for some pains. But that the suffering over it is huge. And you could, be, you could be thinking and suffering about this for days and weeks and months on end, maybe even years. <laughs> I know I have, and I do. Why do we do this? Well, this is what Roman Braun set out to uncover. And when Roman Braun combined the two models together, this is the model he came up with. Now, uh, it's hard for you to understand this, but there is pain and pleasure on one side and purpose. So pain and pleasure underneath that would be surrender and joy and suffering and distraction. And over on this side would be the logotherapy, which was purpose, purposeful or purposeless. Uh, so you could see that that's how it was broken down. Purposeful suffering, purposeless suffering, pain and pleasure. And so he broke it down. And to understand this, you've got to combine the purposeful or less with the NLP attributes of pain and pleasure. And what you come up with are four combinations. Purposeful pain, purposeless pain, purposeless pleasure, and Purposeful pleasure. All right, let's break it down so you can fully grasp the meaning behind each combination. First one, purposeful pain. Purposeful pain. Pain can be purposeful? I mean, that might, that might actually seem ludicrous. How can pain be purpose, purposeful? But how, after interviewing many new mothers who had just given childbirth... Braun discovered something really fascinating about the mother's, each mother's response to the pain endured and how much they suffered. 
Now, on a scale of one to a hundred, childbirth has got to be old, you know, two hundred. Uh, one hundred being the most excruciating. Childbirth has got to rank way above a hundred. And uh, and every new mother he interviewed, though they experienced a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, in that moment, not one of them looked back and said that they suffered any pain. So here you have this extraordinary amount of pain, delivering a child, but no suffering. And Braun, he was asking why, why, why? And what he concluded was that the reason they didn't suffer was because this pain adds something to the continuity of life. Isn't that beautiful? Because this pain adds something to the continuity of life. And as a consequence, the women experience no suffering. And so in, in Braun's model, he calls this surrender. Where we surrender to the moment. When we're in this pain, there's nothing we can do about it. Let's surrender to it. It's going to lead something to the continuity of our lives. And we can think about that, about this pandemic. If we surrender to it and understand it, these forces, this can add something to the continuity of life. We are going to be transformed into something better. So let us surrender to it. Okay, next one, purposeless pain. Is there any such thing as purposeless pain? <clears throat> this is what uh, we would call in bronze model suffering. All right? And this can be caused by the smallest of pains. For example, someone says something that offends us or insults us. Or even just a simple look or a glance can cause immense, huge suffering. And in these situations, both parties lose. Because it simply doesn't serve their best interest. And it brings out the worst in, every, in each person. Usually, deep down, both parties want to make something better of the situation than what actually happened. But their suffering prevents them from being able to see things with new eyes and atone and forgive and do the steps that are necessary to ameliorate um, whatever errors may have been perpetrated or experienced by both parties. So that's it. Purposeless pain would be suffering. Now, the next category is purposeless pleasure. Is there such a thing, purposeless pleasure? You know, at first sight, that's, it seems pretty absurd. That doesn't make any sense. But if we dig deep enough, we discover that, yes, there is such a thing as purposeless pleasure. Someone who is depressed or suicidal after having experienced a traumatic event, like experiencing PTS, PTS, might resort to using medical or illegal drugs and or alcohol in order to medicate themselves from the pain and suffering that they are experiencing. This helps the person to numb out. There, I, we, last night, we heard, I heard a story of, of, of doctors who are dealing, or, or one of our, um, yeah, a doctor, I believe, uh, who in, was a caretaker and uh, was coming from the hospitals. And in order to help himself, he was, he, was, he was now drinking. And he knew better, but he couldn't stop himself because he was trying to numb himself out. And this is happening all over. 
So there is pleasure in reducing one's pain, one's suffering. And for a time, this might actually be what's called for to survive. I mean, it, it, it might be what helps you to get through. I, I understand that. That certainly was my case. The danger of using this means, though, as a way of escaping the suffering is the possibility of addiction. And very often people become addicted to the substances they're using. Many sufferers will recognize this eventually, and they try to stop. They try to stop smoking. They try to stop doing their drugs. They stop, try to stop doing their alcohol. They do their, or whatever they're addicted to. And then they realize that, and when they stop, that their suffering is still there. And then it's been made worse because of the addiction. Why is it worse? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Perhaps their relationships, the most important things that were in their life, are now broken off. Their marriages fell apart. Their relationships with their children broke apart. Their, their friends, their, uh, their, their beloveds uh, shattered. There might be a loss of self-esteem and, and confidence. There's a lot of added guilt and remorse for the things that they did when they were under that influence of the addiction. Maybe it was sexual addiction. Maybe it was money. Maybe it was whatever it may be. And now there's so many reasons to, to, that it, what they did made matters worse. And so the suffering is worse. And what then often happens is the sufferer returns to the alcohol, to the drugs, to the medications, to those old patterns to reduce the pain and suffering. And it becomes a vicious cycle. All drugs have this, whether it's legal or Ill illegal. Whether it's alcohol, whether it's opiates, whether it's, you know, you're having a momentary pleasure now, you feel good, but afterwards you feel so much worse. And Braun calls this distraction because you're distracting yourself from the suffering. So, and most people, most of us are, are this is where we move between. We move between suffering and distraction. Uh, we're moving from... Uh, purposeless, uh, you know, suffering to uh, purposeless uh, uh, pain, right? We're going back and forth because you're distracting yourself from the suffering and then you're going back into distraction. You're suffering, you're in pain, you distract yourself, you feel good for a while, and then you move back into suffering. <laughs> I know that was my pattern, okay? That was, that was one of mine. And I'm sure that anybody who's listening to this today or watching this, uh, can you relate? Can you relate? I know I'm not alone in this. I know I'm not alone in this. And now the fourth thing on, uh, on this, uh, on bronze chart is purposeful pleasure. Is there such a thing? Of course. Simply put, this is bliss. This is joy. Joy is extreme pleasure. It is ecstasy. It is gladness. It is exuberance for the, one's mere existence, for, exi for being alive. Joy comes from knowing what connects you to that which makes your heart sing, which fills you up with so much love, you can barely contain yourself from the exuberance you feel for your own life. Joy can come from the pleasure that you seek by doing things with others that help you grow and be of service to others. There exists a natural process of giving and receiving, a reciprocity, 
where no one feels used. No one feels being taken advantage of. No one feels left out. And that everyone gains from the connection and interaction. There's a joy that comes from doing the things that you love. Swimming, hiking, yoga, singing, dancing, horseback riding, uh, playing with your kids, uh, whatever. There's, these are just some examples of the activities that you do that you know, resonate in the deepest part of your soul and adds to the richness of your life. And joy can be from sharing ideas. You know, like tonight, today, it brings me a lot of joy uh, to share my thoughts uh, with you about, you know, what's going on in the world and how you can help yourself to heal from uh, traumas and tribulations and how to transform your life and how to to, to make your life uh, take command of your soul. It brings me joy and to know that you you tune in and to share these ideas uh, and wisdom that I've learned along the way. So many people are vacillating, if you're experiencing, and we all are all on some level experiencing trauma, PTS right now. You're vacillating, most of us are vacillating between suffering and distraction. All right, if we know that, we want to get into surrender and joy. How can, we, how can we get to the next level? So they're not, we're, just, we're not just moving between suffering and distraction. We're moving between surrender and joy. All right? Is it even possible? Is it even possible for people to do that? Now, from my own personal experience, there is magic when, you start, when that starts happening, where you begin to seek answers, deeper answers for, uh, to these questions. You know, when I made the decision that I was going to, you know, that I was going to live, that I was going to, I was going to take the path of life, and I was going to heal all, to the best of my ability, all the pains, all the traumas, all the sufferings of my past and my family's past and my ancestral past. And when I decided I wasn't going to distract myself and, and my addictions and, and all those things and, and, and do the work that was needed to be done. Uh, and it took time. And this stuff takes time. Uh, after dedicating years of personal effort and moving, I, more, I started moving up more and more into that area between surrender and joy. I had to face what was ne- I had to face it, what was needed to be faced in me. I had to face my shadows. I had to face my darkness. I had to face the impure deeds, the evils that I that I had done, and, and those things, or, or participated in unknowingly or knowingly or whatever it may have been. I had to move, I had the courage to forgive myself for the things, the pains that I caused others along the way and the mistakes that I had made. Uh, I had to grasp the courage and the strength to move through all that suffering and pain I had accumulated over, you know, four decades of my life. And I gave myself the tools and permission to allow myself to process all this stuff and to heal it. That was the goal, not to stay stuck in it, to heal it. Not to use my wounds as weapons to hurt people. You have to treat me a different way because I got hurt. No, 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 no. So I, I, my triggers, my, my imbalances, my un- places where I was unhealed, it wasn't the world's responsibility to tiptoe around me so that I could feel better. It was my responsibility to, to nurse that and to surround myself with people who could help me to get better. 
so that I could, could use that as wisdom to help with others and to make this world a better place. I had to reclaim my life, just like, and you can do this too. You have, you have within you all that is necessary to make this happen. You just have to choose it. And when you reframe your story and you extract the good that came out of it and you learn those lessons hidden in those experiences and the traumas and in the, in the, the lessons hidden in this pandemic as we're learning it, as we're going through it together, you'll find those treasures. And it will enable you to stand taller and more courageous and free from the, the, the pains and the sufferings of your past. And you're going to move up to those levels more and more to that area of surrender and joy. Ready to create a new future, unlike anything yet you've experienced, anything yet your family has experienced, your children, your friends, your community. We get this at the, this is the opportunity we have now. And we have to be willing to ask ourselves the question, though, for what we are going through. And whatever suffering you're going through, this is the question. Are we willing to pay the price for it? Are we willing to pay the price for it? Are we willing to pay the price to go through this challenge to get to the other side and be better human beings because of it? And each of us individually has to answer that for ourselves. And when you discover for yourself that it is possible to move from suffering and distraction to surrender and joy, you start to participate in life that feels pretty magical, pretty incredible. I mean, you're happy for no reason at all. Even when challenges come your way, you deal with them in the moment appropriately. You express your emotions, your feelings. You get it out, but you're not handicapped by it because you, you're, you're, you're centered in who you are. You're, you're balanced. You're centered. Because that's where, you know, joy is where we all started from. You're happy. That, that's where we all started from. We began our journey through life in this place between surrender and joy. All children know that. As children, we understood that. Children, if you watch them, they have a lot of surrender and joy. I mean, did you ever think this uh, <laughs> about how many times a child falls down before he, and he or she learns how to walk? Have you ever watched a toddler? I mean, they're amazing. And they'll fall down a hundred times, two hundred times, more, uh, before he or she learns how to walk. And they don't have a sense of failure. They don't have a sense of... Uh, guilt or shame about it or comparison. They're not competing with the other toddlers around them to see if they can, you know, be the first one to walk or to have the, the you know, uh, the, the most diapers. They're not, they're not doing that. You know, they don't have that. They don't have that sense of suffering and, and, and needing to compete and, and all those things that we adults have. You know, if a child fell down the first time that he or she tried to walk, they'd be suffering over it. Like, if, and they were like us, they'd be suffering over it. Like, oh my God, I'll never walk. It'll, it'll be forever. You know, my, my, I'll never have a, a bank account full. And uh, my, you know, I'll, I'll never be able to, you know, I have this bump on my head. My legs don't work right. Things are just never working out for me. And oh, woe is me. <laughs> they, they were, they were, none of us would have walked. The child keeps going. Regardless of what the challenges and the struggles and the bumps on the head or he or she may have done and does it without suffering. Why do they do this? Simply be put, they are, they are contributing 
because they're adding to the continuity of life. Its own life and life in general. And that's from Roman Braun. It's great. The good news is that this is all hardwired into our brains. This place of surrender and joy. And when you realize you don't have to avoid pain, you don't have to avoid suffering, that there's a light at the end of the tough tunnel of your suffering, you soon discover you don't have to look for happiness because it just wells up from within. And when you have transcended and transformed your suffering and distraction, you can learn to live with just the right amount of joy and surrender in your life. And you're doing this right now just by listening. <laughs> I mean, there's a certain amount of joy that comes from learning and understanding something new about yourselves. You're listening to this radio program and this TV program. So there's a little bit of surrender here. And because I'm sure there's a lot of things you could be doing right now that would probably give you a lot more pleasure than, than listening to my thoughts. So you're giving up a little bit of your pleasure right now in the hopes that it adds something to your life's purpose. We want to make this the rule, not the exception. As Roman Braun states, let the days of suffering and distraction, let that be the exception in your life. Folks, we can live our life with meaning and purpose on a daily basis. We just have to want it more than we want suffering and distraction. There is a balance between having the right amount of challenges in our lives and the right amount of joy. But we've got to find this for ourselves. You've got to find this for yourself, just like I did. We can live meaningful, purposeful lives that adds to the continuity of life. My challenge to you is to fill every moment of your life with everything you got. Don't waste a second. Don't waste a second. Okay, I want to thank KUHS. Uh, Denver for being the host of this show, the council here on this platform, KUHSDenver.com, the stream, KUHS, the stream. We are broadcasting live here in Denver, Colorado, uh, broadcasting all across the nation and all around the world. We are being listened to by so many hundreds of thousands, over 100,000 people in, in, in so many different countries. Thank you for tuning in to KUHS and to all the amazing programs of personalities and VDJs and music here. Thank you, Henry, for all that you do to allowing for this magic to happen here. Uh, tune in to KUHS. Uh, we are, uh, we're here to serve you and be uh, the best we can be for you. Uh, thank you all for tuning in to the council. Um, the council is adjourned. We will be back in two weeks. Uh, or excuse me, we'll be back next week. So tune in. Have a great, wonderful weekend, folks. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. God bless. See you next week.